0: this is a public service announcement brought to you by Cardell sims and the good folks of tmg records check the forecast i rain fact that's true precipitation give them time back or use it to build patience either or try to maneuver above basics so when you touch down
1: you hover over complacent Long story short, we made the time count Incarceration couldn't keep our minds timed out We just gave clout to the count times and it. Made our re-entry a journey out of confinement What would be one word to describe this journey? Enriching Unapologetic
0: Unapologetic All right, all right, all right. We are back with another episode of the Re-Entry Journey. I am your host, Cordell Sims. And I know we ain't been here for a while, but now we are back. We've been on the road. has been a lot of work going on. been a lot of things happening. But, man, I'm glad to be back with the Re-Entry Journey. And our guest tonight, um, I met our guest from another guest that used to be that was on the Re-Entry Journey, Tito. And Tito was sharing the story about how when he was on the inside, he learned uh, how to do the opto- uh, optometry work. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but he know how to do the work. He was making glasses and fitting contact lenses, and then he got out, and he, he really wasn't provided the opportunity to to do that. And then I got a, a, a message from you to to really wanted to. Um, you watched the podcast, you watched two those stories, and it was actually something that you did when you got out of prison. And then we set up a call, and man, what, I think we was on the call for like three hours talking about business. You gave me the greatest tips on how to expand my brand. And I was like, I got to have you on the re-entry journey after you shared the story with me. And I'm glad to have you on as a guest. Our guest today on the re-entry journey is Miss Kirsten Dunn. We're talking about going from prison to politics. Welcome to the re-entry journey.
1: Thank you for having me. How exciting. <laughs> Look, <awesome. laughs> I put a
0: gig into your intro, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that intro, as I was telling you earlier, it was made by uh, a guy named from Mister Lawrence Weed. Uh, he's locked up in the Idaho Corrections. He uh, made the intro for me, so that's really thank. I'm, I'm really proud of that to have that as our intro.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I love that everything is intentional.
0: Oh yeah, most Certainly. definitely.
1: Super so, important.
0: So 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 let's let's. Tell us about yourself. Tell us about yourself.
1: Let's get into it, right? <laughs> so, okay, so you gave me an outline of how you wanted me to do this, right? You wanted me to right. talk to before, because y'all, I give y'all all the tea. It depends, on like, <laughs> like how much tea do you want? You know, how much tea oh. do you want to steep? No, but um, I, I get excited every time I have an opportunity to tell my story candidly. Um, simply because it's not a story that's extremely uncommon. It's just a story that's not often told. So um, I started out, my my journey that ended me in prison in my early 20s was, um, it started from childhood. Um, I lost my parents at a very young age. I became an orphan at the age of 13. My dad passed when I was 13, my mom when I was 11. And they passed because they contracted HIV from tainted blood at my birth. Oh, so wow. my mother, I was I was a breech baby. I literally came out running and I got long legs. So they said I came out running. And because I was breech, I was born in 82. They didn't start testing blood till 85. My mom lost a lot of blood and she received tainted blood and gave it to my father. And they found out when I was seven years old. So, um, so I was orphaned at a young age, um, but I was a trust fund baby. My parents you know, were wealthy, but um, I still ended up in foster care.
0: Right.
1: After, uh, my probate got locked up and family members couldn't get access to my funds anymore. I ended up in foster care. So mm-hmm. I got out of, fo- I, while I was in foster care, I survived molestation. And I talk about that openly because 76% of children that are in foster care are pretty much it's a breeding ground for prison 76% when I'm pretty sure the numbers are probably higher than that of the the people that the kids that come from foster care that end up incarcerated but 76% of of women even and men end up incarcerated after foster care so I got out of foster care turned 18 I said listen I know exactly what I'm doing by this time I had already started my first business when I was 16 um, I had I was a cheerleader, so I used to choreograph cheer routines and teach them to the squads that we competed against. So ours was always uh, better. Don't get it so me.
0: that was that was your business.
1: That was my business. I was. 16. Oh wow! I was sixteen. My first car, Cardell, was a, a, a Lexus ES three hundred, and I paid cash. Oh,
0: myself. oh you was balling! Oh, you was out there working! Oh, you <laughs> was balling! <laughs> Man, doing
1: big things at sixteen. Look. But um, I had the hustle and I had the business, but I didn't have the I had the hustle, but I didn't have the business. Let me say it like that. I didn't understand business acumen. I didn't have anybody mentoring me. Um, It's it's funny. And I tell people this. This is one of the reasons why cognitive thinking is so important, because I really believed that nobody that had a major company did it without first doing something illegal. Oh, Mm. I believe that. Like I believe that everybody was connected to the mafia and that everything was, you know what I'm saying? I I didn't believe that anybody started a legit company that they didn't first do something illegal. So um, and, it, and it's crazy that that was a belief of mine, but I had to debunk all these beliefs as I got older. But I ended up, you know, at 18, going to Grambling State University. Yes, I'm grandfam fam all day. So all my grandfam fam out there, make sure y'all drop grandfam. fam. Hey, I love y'all. Yes, you love <laughs> But yeah, I went to HBCU, went to Grambling State University, um, met the guy who I thought was the man of my dreams, who was really the man of my nightmares. And he had already been to the feds three times when I met him. So he, he had been so- twice. Quite-
0: he hit you with that federal game before you even knew about the federal game was. I
1: didn't even know what it was. I'm, I mean, I'm just, my hustle, I'm 18 years old. I own two 18-wheelers. I'm still choreographing cheerleading routines and got my two-wheelers. Wait, 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 on.
0: Oh, you, you're 18.
1: 18. Now
0: you, you don't went for the, you got the cheerleading, but now you, you got two it's how, how did the 18-wheelers come into play? I mean, Where did that come into play. play at?
1: <laughs> Look, just sprinkle that in there. Just It came into play um, because my foster father, even though he was this, you know, crazy, crazy man, he was also a businessman. Mm. And so he was he had trucks and his family had trucks and that was their business. So I, I began to dispatch his 18 wheelers for him you know were living in his household and so I began to learn from it and so very quickly at 18 I realized wait a minute I, I couldn't even drive the trucks like I couldn't even park them or anything I remember mm-hmm. one of them got stranded up in Denver and I flew up there and, and ended up meeting somebody in the airport that had a, a CDL <laughs> that was say because <laughs> oh. <laughs> the driver oh, wow. dipped. that's a whole other story but yeah no so I had two 18 wheelers and I was dispatching trucks and that was as my business and then I also, you know, still had my cheerleading business and and I met him. called
0: somebody been, from Fessout the Feds. I mean, he had
1: already been he had already been three times. Like not oh, once twice but three times. And so he um we became like Bonnie and Clyde like because here I am really you know craving this but it was his pursuit of me he wouldn't take no for an answer it was like he was he was like definite you gonna be my girl it don't matter what it is and i think his his pursuit of me was very persuading and before you know it you know i'm i'm engulfed into his world Mm. it was nothing for me to go from the business mind hustle that i already had to be engulfed into his world where he was doing stuff, everything illegal. I mean, we had money order machines, all kind of crazy stuff. And it just, you know, it was like normal everyday life. And so I turned 19. I had my son who is 19. Y'all stop doing the math. I'm about to be 40. I'm going to just tell y'all. Okay. Melanin. Thank God for melanin. But anyway, but um, I had my son at 19 and the feds came knocking at our door. So my first um, time incarcerated was at 19 years old. But I have a total of 16 mug and more felonies than I have fingers.
0: Mm. So when the feds came to your door, what was your thought being this is your first interaction with the federal government?
1: We had already contemplated and see, this is the power of your thoughts and the power of your conversation. And whatever you plan for, that's what's going to happen.
0: Mm.
1: we had already planned for it so we manifested it even right you know what i'm saying we we were all in alignment with it that's what's so powerful about your thoughts because we were in alignment we manifested it we we had already mm. had the conversation about it um i used he used to always tell me you got to understand for every million that we make one of us is gonna have to do 10 years
0: right Mm. It
1: was like a calculation of what you know what I'm saying. Like it was, it was a calculation. of a
0: in it, but, but we 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 preparing. Yeah. We know that this is going to happen. Possibilities, small possibility, this gonna right. happen. So we preparing for this, which in turn attracted it as well.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, because it's because if you could do that for the negative, imagine what happens when you choose to do that for the positive. Right. So that that's how I live my life today. I'm, I refuse to do that. Yeah, and then even when I when I unconsciously find myself planning for negative, it's catching mm-hmm. yourself to say, "Wait a minute, what I plan for is what's going to happen." So I'm a, I'm a plan for what I want. Right. Yeah, but we so <laughs> they ended up coming to our door, and um, because we had already planned for it, and just to answer your question, Cardell, because I just realized I didn't answer your question. But um, they came knocking at our door and my thoughts were, OK, you know, we plan for this. We already know what the deal is. And so because he had already been down so many times and the feds were watching us for so long, um, they had already known it pretty much was uh, he was the kingpin of the operation. I, they didn't know anything about me. So the feds let me go. I didn't get any type of federal charges. Um, you know, they held me, I think, for like 90 days or something like that. And so, but I came out of that situation with the mindset of now I gotta hold it down. Mm. And so, and when I you
0: say said, hold it down, it's but what do you mean by hold it down?
1: Now it's my responsibility to make sure that all of our operations that are still running are still running, and mm. that that our lifestyle that we've built—houses, cars, all this stuff that we have—that wasn't seized by the feds—is um, my responsibility to keep. To make sure it happens. So um, and it, it's crazy because I say it all the time, this all ride and die. I need to ride and live. I'm not going to ride and die. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm done. Why? Why? Right. Especially as African-American women, we, we take that on like it's supposed to be, Um, you know, our anthem that we riding and dying. No, I'm going to ride and live. I'm not riding and dying. I'm, I'm done right. dying. It's old. Mm. No, sir. But yeah, so I ended up kind of taking on the mentality that I had to hold it down. So it was just like from one hustle to the next, one hustle to the next. It wasn't but a year later, I ended up getting caught on, on state charges and I was given probation. I violated that probation with um, with, I think, a hot check or something because I was like struggling, trying to make it couldn't get a job. It was something. But I violated that probation with a hot check. And ended up going to state jail for six months. And then I got out of state jail. I stayed out for like a year. I think it had to be a year. And after that year, Katrina hit. This is how I could tell okay. you, like give you oh. dates or kind of a, a time frame of when all this stuff happened. Katrina yeah. hit, and I remember leaving my cousin's wedding driving home in this avalanche of rain because Katrina was happening and it was heavy in New Orleans. And um and I got home, you know, put my baby in the bed and I woke up with this guy with his hand over my mouth telling me if I screamed, he was gonna kill my baby. Mm. And, and he I don't remember how long I was in that house with that man. I don't remember how long because a lot of this stuff I it blacked out, you know, from it happening, but um, and he assaulted me that night, but i was I was able he left and I was able to get out of there and go to the police and report everything. The trauma from that, the true PTSD from that assault made me say. And I can I cuss? I'm sorry. Yeah, you
0: can cuss. Yeah, yeah, you can cuss. I
1: apologize, y'all, because I'm a cussing Christian. (laughs) I know y'all got to work with me. Okay. the trauma from that made me say, fuck it. You know, like whatever, whatever goes, goes. I started I mean, anything that I could do, you know, I don't even remember all the stuff I used to do. Some of the stuff I do remember, but. I started doing all kind of crazy stuff. It was like money was my god, and money is what I wanted. And if it wasn't Gucci, Fendi, Prada, if if, if I didn't have the nicest, then that's what that's what I, that's what made me feel secure. It was like it's it's funny because I see people like that today, or I'll meet people like that today, and I understand that's their trauma talking. And yeah. it, because I lived in it. I lived in trauma. It's like I went from one traumatic thing to the other. Every time I come out of it, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be good. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then I end up in a traumatic experience that takes me right back. So I ended up going, going to prison for two years. I got a five year sentence from something I did during that time period. And I remember the attorney didn't even tell the judge about my situation. So I ended up going into prison. That was my first time actually going to TDC, to the okay. Texas Department of Criminal Justice. And I was on the Gatesville unit. So anybody that has been incarcerated knows the Gatesville unit is, is the where all the women are housed in Texas. And I was at the Hilltop trustee camp. So um, I ended up going into prison and the, the, ju- the uh, attorney didn't even tell the judge about any of my situation. Mm-hmm. Um, what ended up happening... The, the guy that assaulted me, he ended up assaulting 37 other women. So he was a serial rapist. Oh yeah, he was a
0: serial rapist.
1: He was a serial rapist. I was his first victim and the only one that they, that had DNA on him. Mm. So I was, the, I was the only one that they were able to pull DNA on. So I'm at my trustee camp and I'm getting adjusted to prison life. I remember an old school woman that still my mama to this day, Mama Lou. She told me, she said, If you don't make this your world, baby, you're not going to make it. Mm. She said, your son is out there and you're in here. You're crying every night. You're not able to function. You're not doing, you know, you're not eating. You're getting cases because I'm, you know, contraband queen. I just, you know, you're just angry, just angry at life, angry at the situation, angry at myself because I know I can do better. All this stuff is, I'm um, fighting inside of me, right? And it's just spewing out. Right. Like, if you don't make this your world, you're not going to survive. So I started going to church. I got in college and I just made it my world. I started caring about how my bunk area looked. And I just remember, you know, making it my world. Mm. And, um, And as good as I was doing that for six months, I I get a chain slip. I get a slip telling me I'm pulling chain. And I was like, why would they be taking me back to county? I know I don't have no new charges. So I'm like frantically, you know, writing everybody I could write. Right.
0: you figure out what's going on.
1: You know what I'm saying? I'm sitting out. I know I sent out about 20 letters. I probably went through two pens and like a whole pad of paper before I pulled chain to send letters out, trying to say, Hey, tell them call this person. I'm dropping honey buns on people's bed on the way out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> saying, Don't forget to call my people for me, you know, all of this kind right. of stuff. So um I get to the county, and it wasn't a new charge. It was that man's trial, mm. and they took me at Tarrant County Jail. I ended up being on the elevator with the man that assaulted me. Uh, what they they had me handcuffed with the man that was that assaulted me. Did you
0: were in custody
1: because I was in custody. Mm. So I'm in custody, and I'm a victim. You know, because I didn't I didn't know that man. He had literally stalked me and and assaulted me. I don't know that man, but I'm in custody. And and then also a part that I left out that was like super traumatic about all of it, even though even though what he said was a lie, because he was just trying to get to my head. He told me he was HIV positive while he was assaulting Mm. me. Now, mind you, that's how my parents died. Right. Mm. So. I had, so I'm getting tested every six months. I remember flying kites. I didn't care if I had to pay for medical, you know, and I'm still to this day. I still, I go six months and I'm still not positive. It's not going to come in my life. I don't even vibe on that level. But at the end of the day, it was the trauma behind it. It was the plan in my head. It was all this stuff that I was experiencing with that plan in my head. So I ended up going to trial, testifying against him. And I'll never forget. And that trial, I was forced to testify. I didn't have a choice because I was in custody. I was awarded the state. So yeah. even when you're awarded the state, who cares if you're a victim? Now at this point, we don't even consider your rights. You know, like that's just and and another Cardell, another fact that everybody should go research. 89% of women that are incarcerated or have been incarcerated have had some form of sexual abuse to them, done to them. Hmm. Eighty nine percent. Why are we not talking about this? Why are we not doing anything about this it's uh, I, be a correlation.
0: I, it got to be um, But, uh, but you saying that a, a lot of the um, women that I had on my podcast, even though they might not have talked about it on the podcast. But when we're talking behind the scenes stuff about their experience in prison, a lot mm-hmm. of them have, have had that experience.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and even before prison, in prison, but if the 89% I'm talking about is before prison. Right. They were, they were molested. They were assault, sexually assaulted. Some type of sexual abuse has taken care of something against their sexuality
0: mm-hmm. has been,
1: has happened to them and it's trauma. It's trauma. And so, cause nobody wakes up and says, Hey, I'm gonna go commit a crime today and go to prison. You know, like nobody just decides that that's the mentality that they're going to hold and so we as a society just need to do better. We've got to do, we have to make necessary changes. And I have some bills that I'm pushing through, but that's a whole nother conversation. Let's we'll talk <laughs> about that in a minute. Yeah. Let's <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, after testifying against him, I remember um, while I was testifying against him, I told his family, I remember I looked in the courtroom and um, the detective came up to me afterwards and was just in awe. She was like, I don't know what you're going to do in life, but it's going to be great. After she heard me testify against this man, I said, he's guilty and he caused me a lot of pain. I said, but at the end of the day, where he's about to go is going to be a lot worse than even the pain he caused me. I said, so do not do not abandon him. You know, like make sure because they're sending him they're sending him to Huntsville, which is which is right down the street from Gatesville. You know, like he's about right. like incarcerated. He got like 30 years or something. And so I just told his family, don't abandon him. And um, I haven't I haven't spoken to his family or him in about probably 10 years now. Okay. But um, I told I asked his family, don't abandon him just because he made a mistake. He got some trauma, something going on with him. I don't know what, but. Anyway, so I ended up finishing that sentence, and after I finished that sentence, I made the decision, the power in a decision. I said, you know how they say they'll see you later when they are processing you out? Them guards, real sarcastic.
0: Yeah, yeah, you'll be they back. We'll they'll see they'll, you again.
1: They'll see, yeah, exactly. They say that kind of stuff, just playing in your mind. And um, and I told them, I, I said, you will see me again, but it won't be in um in prison clothes. Mm-hmm. And, wow. I, and for a while there, when I was living in Texas, I would go down to that same trustee unit and mentor women every Thursday.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah.
1: So my so, last time out, I just I was tired. I was done. You was just done.
0: Mm-hmm. And and so when you got out, did you have any any plans or any goals set of, of what you wanted to do when you got out?
1: So the majority of my business plans that I'm still walking out to this day- I wrote while i was in prison um Mm. i just i didn't know it was called visualization i didn't know it was called manifestation i didn't understand any of that none of the um subconscious you know (laughs) i didn't understand any of that what what was that you know i didn't understand any of that um but i was manifesting while i was in there i was definitely thinking and writing things down of what I wanted to do. It because it, it took me away from being at that present moment. It was my place of escape. I would go out on the wreck yard when the sun was coming up early in the morning before I had to go and um and work because I worked on the pig farm. That's a whole other conversation
0: well, the pig farm. They, had, they had you in there working on the pig
1: farm? Wait a minute. Carnage, oh, we, get no. we get to um what did they call it? Ucc, where they do the I don't know what UCC stands for, but anyway, we get to UCC and they say, um, they say, okay, you, I see you got, you know, a business degree. Okay, you got all these jobs administratively because I'm making sure they know everything I got administratively. <laughs> I'll <Right. laughs> you to put me on this whole squad. You hear me? I mean, yeah, I, no. I came out of that cut, but I didn't want to come out of that cut because of the whole squad. The whole squad is no. modern day slavery. And they were yeah, like, the you're going to get for the pig farm. But so, yeah, I mean, they, I don't they know about that. to try to mentally break you. But what they don't understand, they're just piling trauma on top of trauma on top of oh, trauma. trauma. And they're just piling it on. And so it's not it's not benefiting our society at all. I'm not saying we need to do away with the prison system. Mm-hmm. I'm saying we need to tear it down and rebuild it,
0: rebuild it. Right. It
1: has to be But yeah they had me on a pig farm I was out there and them pigs That's one of the reasons why I don't eat Man. pork
0: Pig farm well, I, I wouldn't have been able to do that I might have went through the hole on that one I ain't, I ain't gonna be going on no pig farm boy. <laughs> <laughs> No I ain't gonna be
1: able it to was, do that It was freedom though As much as it was horrible Because of like the pigs is disgusting And then they feed the I don't know if they still do this It should be illegal They feed the pigs the food that we didn't eat Oh uh, yeah Oh, so yeah. they would like create slop, and they would feed them pigs slop, and then these pigs had hernias and all type of gross on them, and and they would if if one of the pigs started bleeding, the other pigs would like eat them. You oh know, yeah, and it was like killing them. Yeah. Some of the pigs were really sweet though. Some of them were like little little <laughs> Herberts. I wouldn't.
0: Some I wouldn't take the time to find out. I, thought,
1: hey, yeah, I ain't gotten another job. <laughs>
0: This ain't going work on the
1: pig farm and, but I, I did crazy. have to drive a tractor though I learned how to change hydraulic oil mm. and um and so I could I would drive the tractor from unit to unit, picking up the trailers of the slop they boil the slop that smells oh. <laughs> they boil the slop and then and then serve it to the pigs,
0: mm. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, yeah, I mean, I guess that's a productive way to get rid of the um. The, the, the leftovers the food uh in Missouri when all the, how they did it because I got you know you gotta have a job so the job I had was we used to have to drive the truck in back of the cafeteria and pick up all the uh leftover waste food
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then we had to take it out and um they're dumping in this little saw saw machine you are dumping yeah. it in there and then they mix yeah. it with lime and then they steer it up and then it'd go down this little uh belt into the back of the dump truck and then i used to have to take the buckets and use the power sprayer and spray it out spray it out. oh man i used to hate it for for i think about 20 dollars a month i'd just be hot <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, didn't get
1: something. we didn't
0: get paid nothing oh no yeah i definitely would have been
1: enough in- <laughs> yeah. oh I, no I, I'm telling you, it just needs to And then it's so many inmates that Die mm. I mean it, and they don't report It and if their families are Not you know in touch with them And so I mean and anybody That's watching this and I keep saying this and I say this to Families all the time if you have a loved One that's incarcerated Hate what they did But love them mm. you Gotta separate it You have to separate it because what they're experiencing is trauma. Yes, it's traumatic because you're going through it with them. And it's traumatic because they're not present. Maybe you're taking care of their kids now. Or um, if you're a wife and your husband is incarcerated, he left you with the brunt. Or if you're a husband and your wife is incarcerated and she left you with the brunt. Love her. Love him. But hate what they did. Separate it. Separate it. Forgive and and be there for them, even if it's just writing letters, even if it's just sending five dollars. You'd be shocked what five dollars will do compared to nothing on your books. Because I did time with nothing.
0: Yeah, i yeah, I done time with nothing before too, and then you get fired out of that's like a, almost like fifty dollars. You ain't not have no cute. money in a long time. Move, five hundred dollars, like
1: five thousand.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can make five dollars <laughs> straight. Yeah, you can, you make, it make, it you can make it work. Survival, man. So you get out and you got these plans um, to get back into the business and and so how did you like with me when I got out I hit the ground and I just went right into what I, what I had written down the plans of blueprint was it like that for you?
1: Absolutely. Um, it wasn't getting out and going right into it because a lot of the resources that I was given were not accurate. Mm. So I was doing all this research, asking all these questions, going to the law library, asking my counselor for help. I'm asking and trying to make sure as soon as I step out, this is what I'm going to do. This is where I'm going to go. I know where I can get food. I know I need to go get food stamps. I had all that. that I was supposed to get this mysterious Social Security check for five thousand dollars. You know, there was like all this stuff that was supposed to happen and all of those resources were incorrect. All of them. Mm -hmm. I would show up to agencies that weren't open. And so one thing that I did gain very heavily while I was incarcerated was my prayer life. Okay. And so the fact that I would be still and I learned how to pray and how to listen to the voice of God, God began to direct me even as I walked out of the doors. So um, even though I was afraid to look at men because I was brainwashed for two years. (laughs) And mind you, I'm fine too. Cardi, I came out with a six pack, but like my real hair down my back. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I'm afraid to look at men. I'm you like afraid man. to look at men from
0: from from incarceration.
1: But just afraid because men, you know, you can't. The men trustees would come on the camp, and if you get caught up like that, they add oh, yeah. time on your sentence. That and that hit
0: you. Yeah, that get you a reckless eyeballing real quick.
1: Look, I mean, just crazy. That like seriously, like what is reckless eyeballing? Like really? Yeah.
0: Yeah, they got they, they didn't really stress too much of that in the in the feds, but in the state, that's a big issue.
1: Reckless right? eyeball them. Like I don't listen. I'm exhausted. That was too much. <laughs> but I I stepped out and I ended up finding this program that's not even there anymore called the Urban, but it was based through the Urban League. Urban League is still there. The program's not. Okay. And they had an optical program, and so basically, um, I got accepted into that program. And I learned I became a master optician. Well, I became an optician, I just took it a step further and became a master optician.
0: And so, why'd you do that? And why'd you take it a step further? What what was was there something in you that said I'm gonna take it a step further? Because I'm asking because uh when I got out and I got my um life coaching diploma, yeah. I couldn't stop right there, but I took it a step further to get my become a certified master empowerment life coach.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, let me tell you one thing about people like us that have tattered past or that have gotten caught up doing whatever, especially if we were major in whatever we did. Right. right. My personality type is zero to 100 real quick. Mm-hmm. So I just have to learn how to tame that, because some days that's wonderful and some days that's horrible. Right. Mm. So just being transparent. Some days right. that's horrible. <laughs> But um, you know, ask the man that the man that I date, and he'll tell you. But anyway, so (laughs) real quick, you know, like
0: it's it's like she's good and
1: it's she's not good, you know. But um, I mean, I just didn't. I don't believe in going halfway. Mm. If I'm in, I'm in. I mean, there's learning balance now, and I'm learning as I get older. Thank God for wisdom, because I'm learning the balance of everything. But when I'm in, I'm in. When I'm for you, I'm for you. When I when I'm down, I'm down. So when I when I got into optical and um, I just got the optician certification, I was the only one in four classes that actually started my own company. Mm. Everybody else worked for somebody else, or so they took the certification. Several people went back to prison. Um, it was, a, you know, it, just in the program. But I was the only one that ended up starting my own company. And then I also even took it a step further because the school that we had the contract with the University of Houston that would allow us to all our doctors came through there. I ended up creating a contract with them to get the doctors from my practices. Mm. So I just I just built that relationship and kept that relationship and um, ended up starting my own optical. So I'll tell you this story right quick. Um, uh, When I was working for I went to work for this big chain optical. I won't say the name of it, but I went to work for this big chain optical. And I remember the Holy Spirit telling me where these shoes put this shirt on. It was like this turquoise shirt. And I had on slacks and these pointed toe shoes, like, the, <laughs> like these pointed toe heels. And I was like, I look like a witch. You know, the guy the <laughs> and I had the matching bag. And so I went in there and the lady was like, I love you have on my favorite color. And she was like, oh, my God, I mm. love your shoes. It was like it opened up a door to her to see me as a real person. And so right. she ended up giving me the job. And so I ended up working for this optical chain for like a year and I increased the sales so much in that store that they wanted to make me a regional manager because of course me being the, per- the person I am, I'm in, I'm in, you teach me mm-hmm. the discounts that can be given. I started creating coupons based on those discounts. You know, I'm doing all types of marketing strategies that I've never been to right. school to learn. These are just marketing strategies because I've learned to just love people. So we would, you know, go deliver glasses to elderly people and get in contact with their kids and make sure that everything's good and call and check up. And I created different policies in my store as the manager that that wasn't a company policy. They ended up adopting it company wide after I left. But they they went to promote me and didn't tell me they were promoting me when they went to promote me. They did a background check. So Mm. she skipped the background check because she wanted me. To be hired so right. she kind of took me on as her own she ended up they ended up firing her we're business partners now but they ended up firing her and they fired me gave me a severance package and mind you i had keys to the store and i and when i tell you i increased the sales 47 i increased the sales 47 that store was about to be closed before i came in there mm. but because of my background That's right, right they ended up giving, they ended up laying me off. So, or letting me go. And so I, 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 one of the other doctors, one of the things I did was I was always getting in contact with other doctors because I just don't believe in competition. I'm, and that's a whole nother conversation. I'm not in competition with nobody else. I'm in competition with myself. Okay. Exactly. So I don't believe in, I don't believe in competition. Whatever you believe is what you believe. And that's what you are gonna live off of. For me, I don't believe in competition. So I would get in contact with other doctors and make friends with them. And I would tell them, what brands do you carry? Okay, we don't carry that. So if somebody is wanting that brand, I'm going to send them to you. What test do you do? We don't do that. So And and so they would send people to me and I would send people to them. And so we became friends, you know, like all the doctors that were around. And um, one of the doctors called me and said, hey, I I heard you're not working at at XY Optical anymore. And He told me to come come see him. I thought he was going to offer me a job instead of offering me a job. He gave me 5,000 frames, Mm. 5,000 pairs of glasses. He started loading them up in my truck. And he was like, his daughter had just passed of cancer and they they decided to close down. He was getting a divorce and he decided to close his optical. So he gave me the frames that were left in his optical. Mm. I didn't have a location. I didn't know how I was going to do it because at this point, you know, I'm late. I don't have a job. They gave me this little bit of severance package. But I'm still kind of living above my means because I hadn't really, you know, I'm still living. I'm living paycheck to paycheck, driving right. the van. You know what I'm saying? Like right. well, I'm paycheck to paycheck. Let's just be real, okay? Kind of, right. Just, nigga-ism. Can we say that? But anyway, so I'm living right. I'm paycheck to paycheck. <laughs> and, um, and, and basically, you know, I'm, I can't afford my life, but that's the way I was living. And so when they gave me that severance, I was like, I was one month from being out of money. And so he gave me all those frames. So what I did was I started going to those nursing homes that I already had relationships with and saying, hey, if I come and and I carry them to their appointment, do you mind if I sell them their glasses? Because I had a lab relationship. I ended up going to Vision Expo that year and building other frame lines that would give me a chance without having a brick and mortar. So I started the first official mobile optical practice in this, in this, uh, Dallas, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, mm. because of that. Mm. I was the first one to start one. Oh, wow. But it was a force. I didn't have a choice.
0: You had no choice. You had no brick and mortar, and you, you had 5,000 frames. So
1: you had to sell what, what,
0: what, what you going to do?
1: Sell my truck.
0: That's where the hustle comes in at.
1: The hustle. The
0: hustle. Uh, and then and you've been in the business, so now you, you understand the business, you made the connection, so you have the network. Absolutely. So it was just basically putting all of that together and didn't put nothing and getting out there and making it happen.
1: Absolutely. And after I started making money, that's when I started my first practice. So I actually opened my first store um, right. after I started making money.
0: Mm. So you opened your first store.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And was that in Texas? In Texas okay so what what's what happens after the store now what what happens on the next part of the journey the store we had we got yeah. the store you know you know got all 5,000 frames you know what i'm saying because didn't make it happen you opened the store so what was next for you
1: yeah so my next move was i opened the store right then i did after i opened the store went bankrupt
0: mm. was what so, was that what was that feeling <laughs>
1: like People like, you know, like, girl, have you ever had a break? You know, what
0: I'm saying? Like, <laughs> right? Because, Right. Hey, I mean, like, really, like, man, I lost my, I've been going through this, not getting breaks, to the point where I got the effort, the fucking mentality. Yeah. So I get, I get locked up. I, you know, I, 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 I'm changing my ways. I change my ways. I get out. I'm sticking the course. I get this job with this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh. And everything's going great. They want to give me this thing, then they do a criminal background check, and I, I lose it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got a little money, but you fire. We're gonna give you a little money, but you fire. Like dang, I done, I now here right
1: I am. Right oh, we'll give you good references too. We'll give you a reference letter.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah, we'll give you a reference letter. Yeah, right. That helps. You yeah, <laughs> know? That helps.
1: Yeah.
0: And so but now right. you do, Yeah, so yeah. what was that? So what is it? So what was your what was your mindset that when the bankruptcy hit? Like, man, this is just another thing. Here we go again.
1: It was the same way. It was. It was. This is inevitable. Like mm. th- I wanted to end my life. Like mm. I had never been suicidal, except for when I started going.
0: Is it me or are you froze? Is it me? Like you froze on me. Yeah, you froze. So Yeah. So, yeah, you went froze on me. So, I think you had to come back out. Yeah, you had to come back out and come back in. Yeah, you froze up. Let's see. Yeah, so she's gonna log. She she's gonna log back in, but yeah, man, that's crazy to, to to always have this mentality.
1: All right, that was so weird. I don't know what happened. Yeah, I don't know. It just froze up.
0: It anyway, just so, kicked yeah. me out. <laughs> I'm sorry,
1: guys. I'm back though. Hey, y'all okay? Y'all right. good? Okay. No, I don't
0: know
1: what happened. That's so weird. But um. You know, I, I was going to say, and, th- and this is so important, we have to start looking at contrast or negative things or even things that happen that we don't want in our lives with gratitude.
0: Mm. Mm. I, I'm
1: grateful for the things that happen that I that I don't want to happen. I'm grateful for it because even though I don't want it to happen, even though it's not something that that i feel is beneficial for me later on down the line i learned how it was beneficial right and so i just i just choose to trust that the universe is always working for my best and my highest good and i choose to trust that everything is going to work out for me because i do love you know love god i believe in his word so i just choose to trust that so even when I don't understand it, I come out of stuff faster when I have that attitude versus falling into depression versus going into this deep, deep dive of stuff. Because I could I could easily I mean, I was upset, you know, like I had been through all this stuff, finally got a nice apartment. You know, the apartment I was in before had roaches, but it was the only thing that took people with backgrounds. And, you know, right. I mean, I had finally got into a place where I was comfortable working a normal everyday job. But really, I'm called to be an entrepreneur. The reason I don't I don't have no business building up somebody else's company as an employee with the type of, of energy that I roll with. Right. What, building up other people's companies is what I do as a consultant, not as an employee. Right. <laughs> Straight up. Do you no see doubt. what I'm saying? Like I'm, no, like I'm I'm, I've, had, I've had and even since the campaign, I had somebody try to hire me. And I told her I sent him over a consultant contract and I said, I'll be your consultant uh, and in this position for this amount. But I'm not going to get tied down to certain hours, times check in because the energy that I roll with me understanding who I am and my energy space. I'm designed to create and 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 lead that that's my energy. So understanding that. So if a job doesn't work out, why would I get upset about that? You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, if 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 this company go, if my my company, I, I went through a bankruptcy because I kept my glasses kept getting stolen because I was in the hood. Mm. My store, only place I could afford rent space without having business credit, without having any type of like major down payment of um of a space. I decided, well, I'm mobile. I'm only going to be there on the weekends anyway. So during the week, they were straight up robbing me. Right. They was they right. were straight up taking them glasses. And one dude tried to sell them to me at the gas station while I'm pumping Oh, bags. no. I said, my glasses to me. I said, if this something. Hold on, man. No, give
0: my glasses, man. Give my
1: glasses. Oh, that's crazy. So, yeah. so I, I ended up going through the bankruptcy. And after the bankruptcy, that's when I really went through a deep depression, contemplated suicide, all of that. But I still came out of that by the grace of God. And coming out of it, my mentality was different. I understood I was supposed to be a social entrepreneur. I can't just be a regular entrepreneur every endeavor that I have tried to do that has not been socially conscious, meaning that I have a give back attached to it, Mm -hmm. that I give back to the community with with intention, and not just any type of give back, but giving back through things that I've experienced. Mm -hmm. Giving back from, from areas that I personally understand. When I give in those areas, those are areas that I am designed and, and literally created to heal. Mm-hmm. Because I've been through it. Because
0: you've been through it, right.
1: I've been through it. So I'm I'm designed and created to heal those areas. So if I have a business and and I had a business go bankrupt in 2020. And it was an income only business. It did not have a give back attached to it. And it went bankrupt. So that's okay. If you don't have, I just have to, I'm a social entrepreneur. I have to be socially conscious. It's what I, it's what I understand about me right
0: and so how did you go from doing <laughs> the classes and to get into the political field
1: yeah random <laughs> yeah
0: i'm just trying to figure
1: <laughs> out i just happened. woke up one day cardell and said you know i'm gonna run for office no okay mm-hmm. so during 2020 company went bankrupt um and george floyd got killed okay And when George Floyd got killed, I started this movement and I literally, I'm Abraham Hicks. Does anybody listen to Abraham Hicks? Anybody? No? Abraham Abraham Hicks. Abraham Hicks. I'm I'm a vortexian. But anyway, so I listened to Abraham Hicks and she says, when you feel overwhelmed, go take a nap. So I went to go take a nap and that 45 minute nap, I woke up and I had this vision of starting a thing called business for social change. And and what Business for Social Change is, I teach businesses how to be social enterprises, how to give back to their community. On this tour, we did a tour. We were going state to state. Even during COVID, we were going state to state. We were having meetings with police officers. We were having meetings with community members. We were teaching businesses how to scale and grow their business so they can give back on larger scales. So we're doing this state to state. Several people kept walking up to me saying, "You need to run for office. You
0: need Mm -hmm. to run for
1: office. You would be the perfect congresswoman. You would be the perfect mayor." You know, because I'm I'm very down to earth, and and I polish pretty well, pretty decent. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And but at the same time, I'm for the people. Like legit for the people. I ain't got time to play. I I mean, you. I'm just a little bit too hood for that. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't have Mm -hmm. time to play. So. They kept saying that to me and I would be like, yeah, whatever, whatever. But then one day um, it was prophetically told to me that it's time for me to step into government. I kept having dreams about it. I had no idea what it was. I honestly did not even know all the political government branches. Oh, wow. Honestly, I had to do research to understand about the executive versus judicial versus even though I had been to the judicial part. I can tell you that like the back. Yeah, of my head. <laughs> well, the
0: well, executive the and the legislative was I can,
1: I, I can explain to you what an appeal looked like like yesterday. Right. But I didn't understand right. legislative. I didn't understand local government. I, I didn't understand any of it. And I still I'm still learning a lot of it. I'm not a professional politician. I don't believe I ever will be. Um, Because that's just not that's not my make my DNA and my makeup. And I wasn't bred to be a politician. A lot of people in politics, they have been raised up to be a politician. Like they've been taught how to do it from birth, you know, type situation. And that's not me. I'm, I'm for the people. The reason why I really went into politics in the first place is because I'm exhausted with seeing the same thing happen over and over again. We cannot change our justice system if we don't have somebody like me that's been in the justice system to tell you both sides of it. You can't tell me what somebody needs that's first that's walking out of prison if you've never walked out of prison.
0: Mm, Exactly.
1: How how do you make decisions legislatively? How do you make decisions politically? How do you make decisions on lawmaking level if you've never been there? You, you can't describe the Grand Canyon without first going to see it. So people like me, we don't ever step up and step into politics because of what I just went through. Mm-hmm. I just experienced a crazy, you know, smear campaign and they waited until the, the they waited until the election was over to attack me. They
0: mm-hmm. didn't
1: attack me during the election. They waited until it was uh, over. They waited until because they're they're trying to they were trying to make sure I didn't run again. But That's all, all but all it did was was burn the fire more. Now I, I went through that experience. I didn't win. It was 17 candidates. I ran for mayor of Atlanta, Georgia, because I moved, I moved from Dallas to Atlanta and I lived uh by coastal for a while. And then I made Atlanta my home because Atlanta is the black Mecca. So I, I say it all the time. My mama, Alabama, Daddy, Louisiana. You mix that negro with that creole you get this bama, you get this texas bama but georgia has my heart georgia has my heart i love atlanta i love my city y'all i love my city so um but i i ran for mayor of atlanta 17 candidates i ranked number nine out of 17 and i'm not originally from here We are a major transplant city. Anybody that's in Atlanta knows we're a major transplant city. The majority of people here are transplants. So um, for all of that combined was just the passion and the fuel to run. And with us being the black Mecca, this is where criminal justice reform needs to take place first.
0: Uh, So indeed, yeah, Atlanta. Atlanta is
1: um,
0: my first experience of, of Atlanta. I moved down there to play college basketball right outside Atlanta, probably about 30 miles west of Atlanta. And coming from Missouri, I come from a town in Missouri, probably about 30,000. That's how big this town is. And um, so Atlanta was kind of my first experience of a big, bigger city. Like yeah. I experienced Kansas City, I experienced St. Louis, but Atlanta was something different and yeah. it just the vibe and and, mm-hmm. and you- and even this was in the early, this is late nineties, early two thousand. You can see the shift and and see where Atlanta was headed back then. Yes, uh, of, of his business growth for yes. uh, for our people, um, just for the hospitality for our people, just for the uh, place where everybody can come from and go there and get the same hospitality. Absolutely, of our people, and I mean, it's, it's lovely. So yeah, I, it I, is. I second that on, on the Atlanta. I have no disagreement with that there. <laughs> yeah,
1: Atlanta, Atlanta is definitely. And it's still even with all the the things that's happening in our city right now, um, we're healing. Mm-hmm. I refuse to say anything else. We're healing. I refuse to speak anything else, believe anything else. We are healing. I do have someone warming my seat right now, and I'm loving him and supporting him. In his first hundred days, he has done incredible And I'm going to do everything I can to support him. But I will say, in my opinion, this is just me. I haven't seen anybody else capable to do what I'm about to do as soon as I step into that seat. Right. And mainly just because my experience is a different, I don't have a PhD in college, but I have a PhD in life. Right. And my life experiences that I bring to the table is valuable. That's highly valuable. And I tell other people that all the time. It's highly valuable. Even people, if you've been incarcerated before, and and now I'm speaking to people that's watching this, you've been incarcerated before, and you're thinking, I don't really have anything to offer. Even as you get ready to make your resume, what did you do when you were in prison? Mm. You have skills and skill sets that you learned while you were there, survival skills. Maybe you became a chef on the cool. Like... The things we can make with noodles. But you right. just you just have to learn how to take your true mess, the stuff that looks like it's messy because it's still life experience and it's still valuable. Mm.
0: That's crazy because my next question was, I always ask these two questions. One of the questions is, if somebody was getting out of prison today and they just are tomorrow and they just happen to come across this interview, what would be a message that you'll leave to them?
1: Ooh, okay. So first do not get in a relationship for six months
0: straight up. Explain the reason why to not do
1: not get in not a relationship. A
0: relationship, relationship.
1: Okay. So who you were in prison and who you are here, you are who you are. <clears throat> you are who you are. Your environment in prison versus your environment in the free world are two different environments. And you have to give yourself time to get adjusted Mm -hmm. because you need to be. It's not 50 50 in relationships. It's supposed to be 100 100. And so if you're not 100% you and you don't really know who you are in the free world yet cuz you don't you're not the same person you were before you went in. You're not the same person you are when you're in. You're coming out and you're changing and you're morphing and you're growing. And so you get into a relationship as that person, you're going to change drastically in 6 months. And so you you get in a relationship out the gate and try and if you're not already married to that person, Do not get in a relationship for six months. And I don't care what your sexual, you know, whatever you consider yourself to be. It don't matter. Don't get in a relationship for six months. That's the first thing I would say. Because you need to focus on you. You need to get you together. Get acclimated with life again. And and don't don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. That's the first thing. The second thing I would tell you is be very um, open to asking for help. <laughs> mm. Don't be prideful to think that you have to do all of this by yourself. You are not by yourself. There's so many agencies, so many resources. If you don't have, if you don't know what resources to go to, go to my website, KirstenSpeaks.com and send me a message or DM me on any Kirsten Elise Dunn, that full name, wherever it is right there, that full <laughs> name. It's all my social media sites. Send me a message and I'll get you a resource. I'll get you some resources and even get you somebody that you can talk with every day to help walk you through your processes. But don't be afraid to ask for help. And the people you need to ask for help first is your P.O.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Go to
1: your P.O. and tell them I need clothes. I need bus passes. I don't know how I'm getting around. I can't afford food. Like, be real with them. Don't go in there trying to think like they're the enemy. Even if they are mean, 99% of the time, the meanest ones are so mean because they've been burnt by Mm -hmm. other people that were in the system. Because I talk to them all the time, I deal with the, the field that I'm in now. I'm dealing with, I'm about to lead a police force in a few years. You know what I'm saying? Right. So I'm dealing right. with, you know, and they're, they've been burned before. And so you just want, if they're mean, you go in with a great attitude. You'll be surprised what kindness will do. Exactly. So ask for help. And the third thing I would tell you is whatever you plan for is what you will receive. So yes, you're having to catch the bus right now. Yes, you feel uncomfortable because you don't have the clothes that you're used to, all your stuff is gone, you don't have a car, you don't have finances, or maybe you do. It whatever it is, you feel uncomfortable in your own skin right now. Plan and visualize where you are going. Mm and stick with it every day. Spend time. Act as if. Act as if it's already done. Act as if you're already living the life you want. Act as if you already are dressing the way you want. Your hair is the way you want. You're loving the way you want. Act as if. Just already in your mind, visualize and operate like that every single day. Get up. Even if you don't have a job, but you have this dream job you want, get up and get dressed like you're going to it. Catch the bus to a nearby a nearby Starbucks that's free. Just go in there and get you a water. <laughs> you gotta pay for it. Sit at the table like you belong there. You know what I'm saying? And, and get you go, there,
0: you, go there, if you go there every morning and you guarantee there's gonna be some business people in there. It's gonna be some Bad business. Times in there. They, and you keep you go there every morning, they see you there every morning. eventually. Somebody gonna say
1: something. Like, hey, I noticed you've been here. What Absolutely. It you do? Absolutely. You walk around like you have purpose. Because you do. You right. do. And the, the fourth thing I would say, that I just got out of prison is not tattooed on your forehead. Right. So don't don't walk around thinking everybody knows. People don't have a clue. And half the time they're so they're so captivated in their own life yeah. they have to pay attention to what you got going on. Yeah. Uh, that, it's, not, it's not tattooed on your forehead. And you could talk about it when you feel comfortable but don't think for a second that you have to inform everybody that you just got out of prison. Hmm. Exactly.
0: That, that, yeah. Now that's, that, that's four things she done gave you four things. And I'm telling you that relationship part is, is very, very, very uh, important because you, you can't go you know, jump out and be in something like you said, you're not hundred percent. And then the demands that come with being in a relationship, you're not going to be ready for as well so Absolutely. this this is my my question this i asked everyone, that was the first question i asked the right the second question and it really is my final question that i mm-hmm. ask people mm-hmm. is if you had one word mm-hmm. one word to describe this journey what would that one word be and why one
1: word i wasn't prepared for this i should have watched the other podcast one word to describe this journey Hmm. Intentional.
0: Mm. I somebody on here said that intentional. Some one of my guests said it before. Okay.
1: And I have to choose a different one.
0: No, no, intentional. Okay. Because I understand the intention. I read this book called *Seed of the Soul*, and mm-hmm. they had two chapters on intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I came to understanding about you know intention. What? I guess you would say subconscious attention.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's been intentional, even though it, has, it hasn't it has always been my intention. It's It's been the universe's intention. It's been God's intention because God knew he knows where I'm going. He knows what I'm going to do. He knows how many lives and people that gain freedom just because I can sit in the seats that I sit in and walk on the stages that I walk on the majority of the stages, I grace, I'm one of the only African American people to be there. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and definitely one of the only single mothers with more felonies and fingers that happens to be a bipartisan politician. Okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I mean right. so it, it's intentional. It all has happened. It all has happened the way it was supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And I show gratitude for it. I'm grateful. And and I just choose to walk in that mentality. I choose to walk in a grateful, um, just peaceful and reciprocity. Let's go. It's intentional.
0: So we got the future. We got the future mayor of Atlanta. We got yeah, we got it right here. We got the future Absolutely. mayor of Atlanta on, on the podcast. And I usually ask people, "What's next?" I know what's next for you we know what the next, we know what's next for you
1: well i'll tell you i'll tell you this part though because in between i got three years or really uh, technically it might happen for them but anyway i got three years um right now my focus is to legalize marijuana in atlanta <laughs> or in georgia <laughs> especially we need to at least allow them to give us a test city we right. got to get marijuana legal so but i'm, I'm writing bills And writing legislation that changes the way re-offenders are treated.
0: Mm.
1: So what's next, even before I step into office, my goal and my focus and all the speaking engagements that I'm doing and the books that I'm releasing and even the companies I'm consulting, all of the things that I'm doing in business, my focus is to write legislation that supports reoffenders because right now the way things are set up somebody can be and you know this somebody can be incarcerated get out write a hot check like i did and it be enhanced to a felony and now they're right back in Mm. or they could be on probation you Know, don't pay their fees, they got to sit incarcerated for 30 days. That's how I got 16 mugshots. It wasn't because every time I was doing something, it was because I was struggling, right? And so, just really putting things in place because recidivism is real. Our major problem is not new offenses, Mm-mm. Mm-mm. it's recidivism, it's recidivism.
0: It's, it's it's recidivism, and that's what I always tell people like, it's not the people, ca- it's not new cases that's, that's uh-uh. the problem. We're talking about 700,000 people get released. And within five years, 78 to 80 percent of that 700 inside of the prison. Then you add that with the new numbers?
1: Correct. (laughs) Correct. And so it's it's just being able to stop recidivism. So that's what's next for me. What's next Mm -hmm. for me is getting recidivism down. Of course, my focus is Fulton County. Because that's where I'm at. That's where my heart is. But I'm traveling all over the United States. So I'm actually, y'all can reach me at Kirstenspeaks.com. So spelling in my name, Kirstenspeaks.com. My speaking schedule It's actually being uploaded today. I have like 29 engagements this year. So I'm coming to a lot of major cities, small business expos, teaching small businesses how to scale and grow. And then also pushing legislation to be able to um put better things in place for re-offenders. We need more resources. Right.
0: Well, I really appreciate you being a a, a guest on the re-entry journey. Those of you that's tuning in and will tune in, I just want to say, please reach out to Kirsten um, with any help that you need as far as Come to business as far as resources on a re-entry. If you're out and you're in the re-entry field and you're getting out and you're trying to start a business and you got a business going and you need to elevate your business, I'm telling you, I'm telling you to reach out to her. I had a call, (laughs) and the game that I got, I'm telling you, y'all know me. The game that I got.
1: Absolutely. Once
0: I apply this and use what I was taught and told will elevate me, my brand, uh, 100 to to 1, 1,000%. I know for Absolutely.
1: sure. Absolutely.
0: And so I, I'm telling you now, you're tuning in and when you do tune in and you need help uh, elevating your business, you need help to the resources, getting out of prison. It's
1: grant season, y'all. So you got a background and you have a business, please reach out to me. Even if it's just to do my business, our free consultation. I know I have a wait list right now, but even if it's just to I do the hour consultation. <laughs> I bet yeah, you <laughs> that's uh, like, I mean, wait Be serious. But yeah it, it <laughs> I, I,
0: I dig in
1: we want to leave you want to make sure you're elevated. So but definitely it's grant season. So if you got a business and you got a background you definitely need to get that grant list. You got to get that grant list. You just have to
0: yeah. I was looking at a few grants to uh my, myself not too long ago but I ain't gonna get into all of that but um
1: We'll, we'll, we'll talk offline. We'll
0: talk offline. <laughs> yeah, uh, but really, uh, thank you. Thank you Absolutely. for uh, all the work that, that you've done. Thank you for, you know what I'm saying, standing firm, staying rigid, and, and continue to push for the greatness that you know you are destined for. Thank you for your work in the reentry field. Thank mm-hmm. you for your work in the political field representing us. Uh, we all appreciate it. I appreciate it. And thank you for being a guest. Again, leave your information for those tuning in and those who will tune in and how they get in contact with you
1: before we get off. Yeah, So you can go to all my social media platforms are my name. (laughs) It's my name, Kirsten Elise Dunn. So um, on Instagram, Facebook is Kirsten Elise Dunn. LinkedIn, Kirsten Elise Dunn. I think Twitter is Kirsten E Dunn because it was too long. But um, any of my social media platforms, you can just DM me and someone from my team will reply. And then also um, you can reach me at Kirstenspeaks.com. So Kirstenspeaks.com is my core website. I also still have the Kirsten Done for Mayor.com website that you can go to as well. So that I still left that site up because it's gonna happen.
0: Yeah, it sure is. <laughs> it's oh,
1: so reach out to me. It most
0: definitely is. Um, thank you for being a guest.
1: Um thank, thank you for
0: uh, the, the consultation that you gave me with all the game. And I look forward to, you know, watching everything manifest that you know and that I know is going to manifest for you.
1: Yes. Let's co-create. Let's go. <laughs>
0: all right. And this all is- right. This is- bye, guys. Bye, bye. we like to thank you all for tuning in to the reentry journey. I am Cordell Sims. Thank our guest, Miss Kirsten Dunn. We are out of here. I uh, thank you all for tuning in.